Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, we have come to the end of Ephesians, and he goes out strong uh, with this famous passage about the armor of God, being strong in the Lord and not in our own strength. Um, But there's some really cool Old Testament background that we'll talk about today with this armor that I think gives us uh, kind of a window into seeing that like there's a real sense in which Jesus wore this armor, Um, in prophecy at least. It's a pretty cool connection, I think. Yeah, and look, this is an overwhelming book, definitely, in terms of thinking through everything we have to apply and everything that we need to be as Christians. And that's really Paul's whole whole point in Ephesians 4, that you know he's imploring us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we've been called. And so he's talked about how we are to no longer walking in darkness, but to walk in light and how that transforms our relationships that we have with other people. And as you come away, as we ended in chapter 6, verse 9 last week, you're almost overwhelmed. You go, wow, this is, a, this is a high calling. This is a lot that Paul is calling us to. But the thing is, is we're not left alone. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Lord gives us the armor we need to fight this spiritual battle that is going on. And so we'll talk more about that in the pod today. Yes. So we're reading in Ephesians chapter 6. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. We're going to pick up in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Okay, so Paul, as we said, is going to explain to us the tools we have to succeed in this spiritual warfare, and we're not relying on our own strength, but we're relying on the strength in the Lord Jesus that's important to see Paul, as he often uses the word Lord in his epistles, he's often referring to Jesus Christ himself. And we're relying on his strength and his might. And that's why I love the title of the podcast today, uh, The Armor That Jesus Wore. As we reflect on Jesus' life and the way that he came down and lived, how he was perfect, he was sinless, he was innocent, he did everything perfectly, He didn't do that by himself. Uh, He had armor that he wore, and we get to wear the same armor that Jesus wore to fight against the devil. 
Yeah. And I mean, it's kind of like a, a good review on Google, you know, it's like, oh, like, I, I used this and it worked for me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, if, if Jesus wore this, it's the best possible review you can get <laughs> exactly. uh, for this armor. If it worked for him, it can work for me. Yeah. And I think it's interesting here that um, he, he goes in an order where he first, kind of in verses 10 through 13, he first reminds us of just the nature of the battle that yeah. we're in yeah, before getting into the specifics. Yeah. And he reminds us of several really important things. Um, one is that our enemy is powerful and he is smart and we should not trifle with him. I think sometimes we, uh, it's easy to joke about the devil or, you know, the spiritual forces of, of evil. Oh, it, and like one of the things that the Bible does not do is, I mean, it talks about Satan being defeated and that his power has been taken away, but it does not trifle with him. Or no. treat him as, uh, you know, not a threat or something like that. He is powerful and wise. And it talks about him scheming. So you can stand against the schemes of the devil. I don't know if you ever thought about the devil is like, I don't know if he has a, a room per se, but like it, the devil is like pondered how to destroy you. Yeah. And he knows some insights about like us and our weaknesses. And like, that's sobering to think about. Yeah. That, like. Satan has put some kind of thought into each of us, I think. That's right. But who we are of is, is much stronger than who he is that's of. That's right. Um, and that, that's really what Paul is trying to get at here. And he, he's telling us we can stand firm against the schemes of the devil. There, there is no scenario if we're in Christ where we have to feel wishy-washy. No, we can stand firm against the devil and against his lies. But it requires us taking up this full armor of God. And I love that. He uses that phrase in verse 11 and in verse 13 because it just kind of makes me think about an incomplete armor. You know, the, the idea that if you don't have a certain piece on, if you're not fully prepared, I think about firefighters, you know, they, they have to have their entire gear on in order to withstand the heat that's in the house when it's on fire. But with God, you have to put on every single piece. Um, if you leave a piece off, you're vulnerable in some way, and you best believe that's where the devil is going to attack first. That's right. Is wherever you're weakest. And, and he points out in verse 12 that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. I think that's really important because it's so easy to mistake who our real enemy is mm -hmm. and think, well, our enemy is those people. Our enemy is, I don't know, like that group or that party party or whatever like yeah. it's just easy to it's easy to get confused and satan would be delighted for us to mistake the enemy miss the forest for the trees that's right yeah. and and really we're we're fighting to convert people from satan's army that's right and it's true that like there are people there are physical flesh and blood people who oppose christians like that is a truth but what paul is saying is re really at the end of the day we're not just trying to get away from a group of people or something like that. But there's a much, much bigger battle going on here. And I don't understand everything behind what he says here, that our, our battle is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Again, in the heavenly places has been one of these themes in Ephesians. Yeah, that's right. Several times. And he's told us, listen, in the heavenly places, you are rich, you are blessed, you've got everything you need, but there's spiritual forces of evil after you. And so don't forget that you're in a war. And don't forget that there are powerful legions after Christians. Mm -hmm. And you need this armor. <laughs> so it's kind of like motivation to be like, okay, 
you need this armor. Now I'll tell you what the armor is and encourage you to use it. There's also just this cool idea that there is a war we're participating in with Christ. Of course, he is our captain, is the whole idea. He, he's the one calling the shots, but he's in there fighting with us against all of these uh, spiritual horrible forces that are there. Um, and so in verse 13, Paul kind of comes back to it and he says, therefore, take up the full armor of God. I think that's another way of saying, you're going to need all the help that you can get if you want to fight this battle right. Uh, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. I really hope we can say that. Um, when we're struggling with a specific sin or a specific temptation, I hope that we can truly say, I've done everything I can to stand firm. And Paul, of course, gives us the things we need to stand firm. Yep. And I mean, I like the idea of standing firm because what Satan is trying to get us to do is to slide around. He's trying to get us off balance. He's trying to get us to fall and if we're wearing God's armor, we have everything we need to stand firm. And again, not just in ourselves. I appreciate that like, there, there's a balance here of kind of man up. But really, he says at the very beginning, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That's right. If it's just me against the devil, I'm going to fall. Like, I'm going to, I'm falling flat on my face. Um, but with the Lord's help and the Lord's armor, praying to him, if I'm tapping into his strength, that is the only way that I can stand firm. And so yeah. I appreciate here that there is a there's a call to action, but also a call to reliance on the Lord. And the only way we can win the war is to surrender to the Lord and fight with his strength. Yeah, so Paul will say in verse 14, to stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So we'll just kind of start with that first one there. Having girded your loins with truth. So ESV say something similar there. Having fastened on the belt of truth. Yeah, that's a little more clear for our purposes today um, in the way we speak. Yeah. I mean, like the idea of getting ready um, and fastening this around your waist. Like they would wear like these long tunics. And what they would do is like girding up your loins is like tying up the long garment so that you're free to run. You're free to fight. You're more flexible and you're ready to go. It's kind of the idea or the idea of the belt. Um, is the idea of what holds everything else yeah, so together. Tight, tighten up your belt mm-hmm. so, so you can get ready to run so you don't lose all your gear or whatever have you. You know, Be ready to, to fight. Yes. And truth is the kind of the, the first thing that's mentioned here is the, the greatest weapon we have against the lies of the devil is the truth of God's and, word. And I love that idea of having God's truth strapped around us as tight as we can, <laughs> right? I don't want that to fall. That That's what I want to stay on me as I'm running through this conflict and as I'm running through this war. Because here's the thing. There's a lot of things out there in this spiritual warfare that are opposing the truth. I mean, that, that's really where it starts. If I can get someone to walk away from the truth, then I've won the battle. Mm-hmm. Stick to God's truth. And so for us, we need to stay in his word. We need to keep reading. We need to keep meditating on it as we strap the truth around us to fight this war. Yes. And one of the things that we'll do as we go through these pieces of armor is we're going to look at some Old Testament references cool. uh, for each of these. And it's just really cool to see how each of these... Uh, pieces of armor is again kind of echoed in Old Testament prophecy to talk about the kinds of things. Now, not every one of them matches up perfectly, but I think we can see that like Paul's not just making this stuff up. Right. Like there is Old Testament precedent for these pieces of armor. The first one here with the belt, um, it does talk about the Lord wearing a belt in Isaiah 11 and verse 5. 
And he says, uh, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Um, and this isn't that cool passage about, you know, a child is given and all this and like the government's going to be on his shoulders. Um, but it's cool that he talks about righteousness and faithfulness being like the, the thing that he fastens around his waist, that he's girded with, that he's ready with. And as we think about truth, I also just think about Jesus's temptation in the wilderness. Yeah. He was ready with God's truth to combat Satan's lies. Yeah. And of course, Satan is known as what? The deceiver, right? He, he is trying to deceitfully change what's true. That was the tactic that he pulled with Eve in the garden. And so no surprise he did it to Jesus as well. He was trying to twist something that God meant or God said. But Jesus came in with truth and he was able to resist the, dev- the devil in that evil day. Yeah. And so the next one, um, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Yeah, that one's really cool. Yes. Um, as I think we... Again, I think sometimes the military language here is lost on us, but the the breastplate idea is obviously kind of like a, a chess piece, right? Um, if I'm not mistaken, protecting your vital organs. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, your heart, your lungs, all, all that stuff is is right there. And so, if you have a really good breastplate on, then when the enemy comes with a sword or with an arrow or whatever have you, the breastplate's going to be able having to fend that put off. Put on the Kevlar of righteousness. There you go. Yeah, maybe that is <laughs> the, the bulletproof vest. Maybe that's maybe that's the the good comparison now. But yeah, that's exactly right. But of course, it's righteousness. Yes. Um, doing doing what's right, being just in the eyes of God. Yeah, and, and there's actually kind of uh, two possible ways that um, we could take righteousness here. Um, it could be like righteousness in the sense of doing right things doing righteousness living righteously yeah it could also be the idea of being made righteous by god having been justified like god's forgiven me and like that's now my defense is like be gone say you can't accuse me because god has made me righteous that's right both of those are true concepts and sometimes it's hard to nail down which one it is but it's cool to think about that um and this is straight out of isaiah 59 verse 17 uh, where it's describing the lord i believe jesus ultimately in prophecy here um, and in Isaiah 59, 17, it says, He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. Um, just really cool to see there's two of the pieces of armor that are straight out of this passage in Isaiah 59, 17. So again, this is what Jesus did. He put on righteousness as a breastplate. And it protected him against the schemes of the devil, who was scheming to try to get Jesus to fall and tempting him in these ways. And man... Uh, if it worked for Jesus, it's sure going to work for us. Yeah. And I just think about what the breastplate protects. You said vital organs, but I specifically think of the heart there, uh, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's what the devil wants to get to, right? He, he wants to get to the heart. and But with the righteousness of God, whether it be just our being right or God making us right, if God is in our heart, then there's nothing that Satan can do. I mean, he, he can get as close as he wants to, but the Lord is going to fight him off for me. Um, now, there are practical things I need to apply there and practical things I need to do. But ultimately, God's the one that makes me righteous, and the devil can't touch that. Yes, amen. So the next one, he says in verse 15, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Yeah, it's a little more up-to-date than mine. Mine says, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of I peace. Don't, I don't think of myself as having shod my feet yeah i didn't i didn't shod my feet with my shoes this morning i don't always use that terminology so i like the the clear the clarity of the esv here uh as shoes for your feet it's the ready readiness given by the gospel of peace yeah it's very clear i think this is cool because like you can think of like the shoes of the gospel but it's actually the readiness 
And I mean, you think about that. If you're caught without your shoes on, it's yeah. like, hey, hang on, I gotta get some yeah, shoes yeah, on. Yeah, I gotta on. go you know, this yeah. barefoot. This is not gonna go well. Yeah. If you gotta be ready, your shoes give you traction. They give you the ability to dig deep and then to push forward to do the things you need to do. Um, but this is also straight out of Isaiah. Um, Isaiah 52:7 says, "How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news." Yeah, the gospel. Um, who publishes peace, who, yeah. who brings good news of happiness, uh, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And so it's a famous passage, you know, the feet, the beautiful feet of those who bring good news. But that's the idea of like, get your feet ready by being ready to prepare the good news, declare the good news. It's a beautiful thought to think about that, um, that as we are alert and focused to share the gospel with people at every opportunity, that's like putting those shoes on our feet. They're like, I'm just on guard. I'm looking for opportunities to speak to people and to share the gospel of Jesus with them. And even in the way that these Christians live, in a sense, they can have these shoes on. And I'll explain what I mean by that, because that's exactly what Paul talked about back in Ephesians chapter 2. That, uh, And what's interesting is he also quotes Isaiah 57, um, I guess this is Isaiah 52 that you're looking at. Yep. But he quotes Isaiah 57 uh, back in chapter 2 when he says, And he came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. These two groups, Jews and Gentiles, are brought together by the gospel of peace through Jesus Christ. And mm. so even just in the way that they live, um, they can put these shoes on. Yeah, that's a cool point because he goes to the gospel of peace there. Mm -hmm. I hadn't noticed that. That's cool. So um, this next one, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts or flaming arrows of the evil one. Yeah. I um, asked, arrow sounds a lot more scary than dart. Yeah, I asked Stephen that earlier. What's I mean, worse than just an arrow flying at you? An arrow that's on fire. <laughs> you know, that, that's, uh, that's significantly worse. But, of course, um, the point here is is that your, your shield, it has the ability to stop those arrows mm -hmm. from doing harm to you. And that's exactly what the shield of faith does. And that's been a point that Paul has emphasized uh, a lot here in Ephesians, but he'll do it a whole lot more in places like Romans and Galatians, the need to walk by faith and not by sight, and that we need to con consistently put our trust in the Lord despite the moments where it looks like what God said isn't going to come true. We need to know that it, he will deliver as he always has. Yeah, and there's all sorts of Old Testament passages that talk about the Lord being our shield and our defender um, Psalm 3, 3, you, O Lord, are a shield about me. And I like that it's, it's the shield of faith. We might also say it's the shield of trust. It is our trust in the Lord yeah. and our confiding in him, running to him for refuge. That's what protects us. Uh, Satan's shooting at me. He's firing these flaming arrows at me, trying to get to destroy me, to kill me. Um, but the Lord, my trust in the Lord is a shield for me. No, Satan, I trust in the Lord. I'm not going to give in to those temptations. I'm not going to give in to that discouragement. My trust is in the Lord. And that's just a very practical, day-to-day -day helpful thing. When we are trusting in God, praying to Him, relying on Him, that is the source of strength to resist temptation and discouragement. Um, so I love that. I mean, there's a ton of passages, Old Testament-wise, we could go to with that. But that idea of the Lord being a shield is a powerful one, especially in the Psalms. Yeah, and so just thinking about thinking about this physically, right? Like you're you're walking through your day, you're you're going about your day, and you look up, and here comes the flaming arrow, right? Here comes that that uh, that arrow from Satan, and just literally thinking about in that moment, 
holding up your arm or holding up that shield saying, I have trust in God that he is going to get me through this. It's just so vivid and so cool to think about. And I think that should help us as we walk through life. And so maybe maybe today as you're listening to this and maybe if you see a flaming arrow coming at you, hold up your arm. Act like you have that uh, literal shield and it might remind you that you can trust in the Lord that he will deliver you. Yeah. So that brings us to verse 17. Um, Take the helmet of salvation. And again, this one's straight out of Isaiah 59, 17 that we read just a minute ago. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And again, talk about protecting your vital organs. Uh, that's going to be your chest. That's going to be your head, obviously. <laughs> a helmet is super important in any suit of armor. And here, the thing that is protecting us is salvation. Um, and that's a beautiful thought, again, to think about that I am saved, that God has forgiven my sins, uh, or that God will save me in the end. Yeah. It's a, a past sense of salvation for Christians and a future sense of salvation as well. Yeah, I was just thinking about that too. The idea that like even if there is a physical death that happens, I still have that helmet on. I, there there might have been this physical end of sorts in this life, mm-hmm. but I have heaven there for me waiting. Um, I have hope in him there. So I hadn't really thought about that uh, in terms of, of our salvation here. Yeah, it's powerful to think about. And again, um, this is what Jesus wore. Um, he put on a helmet of salvation. Yeah. And that's cool to think about him being the author of salvation. And like that helmet is like, okay, here's this salvation I've provided for you. Take it, put it on, wear it, protect your head. And again, I don't know if some of these are the ideas here originally, but like like the heart is protected by the breastplate. The mind is protected by the helmet in a sense um, that Satan wants to throw all kinds of things at our minds. He's attacking it. We looked at that back in chapter 4. It's a battle for uh, our mind, our understanding, and um, knowing of God's salvation and looking forward to his salvation is a great way to protect our thinking, to protect our minds. And really, everything we've looked at so far are are defensive armor things, right? Uh, They're all there to protect us from the arrows or the sword that might come at us. But there is one offensive tool that Paul tells us we have, and of course that is, um, in verse 17, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You're not left defenseless. You do have an offensive attack, a weapon, and that's the sword of the Spirit, which is something he's talked about, um, not the sword of the Spirit specifically, but having the Lord's Spirit with us is something he's talked about pretty consistently through the book. Yes, and that picture of the Spirit... Um, or the Word of God specifically, as a sword, is a powerful one in Scripture. And again, from, you guessed it, Isaiah. (laughs) Isaiah 49, verse 2, one of the servant songs here. Paul knew Isaiah well, didn't he? He really did. I mean, the more you read Isaiah and you read Ephesians, you're like, man, this guy loved Isaiah. Uh Um, Isaiah 49, verse 2, He made my mouth like a sharp sword. Um, really cool to think about that. Like again, Jesus is often pictured in Scripture and Revelation. I'm I was about to say Revelation would, would use that. Is that his word, his mouth, is like a sword? Um, that's what cuts to our hearts. Um, in Hebrews four, you know, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting into our into our hearts is the idea. And so here we are taking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we need to learn to handle that well. Um, It's a sword. It is able to defeat and and hack into pieces the lies of the devil, um, the things that stand against God's truth. 
Um, I also think of it almost like a, a surgical implement as well. <laughs> that like it's cut, cutting hearts, it's cutting sin out of our life, it's opening hearts. Um, so there's a lot of ways to think about the, the word of God as a blade and what it does to us. But here it's, a, it's an offensive weapon that we are to wield against the forces of evil. So, man, what an admonition to stay in the word of God, you know, stay in it. That is your that's your offense. Right. And uh, exactly what Jesus did in Matthew chapter four. He had the word of God there ready to to fight against the devil. Yes. And so sometimes we talk about like the six pieces of the armor here, you know, the belt of truth, uh, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. But there's kind of a seventh piece of. Of the armor, I don't know if you can call it a piece of the armor here, but prayer is kind of the seventh part to all of this in verse 18 and th- really 18 through 20. And I've heard it said this way that prayer, if, if the other parts of the armor are, are the, the armor of the soldier, this is the stance of the soldier. The way that we are ready and alert is by being continually in prayer to God. And that makes seven, which is kind of cool. Um, Things about the soldier that are important. Yeah, and what what really does it for me is that word alert. That is such a military word, isn't it? Like Mm -hmm. just that idea of being alert, being aware of your surroundings, um, walking circumspectly as we've talked about, Mm -hmm. you know, just the idea you know what's going on around you and you're praying. Okay, I see that over there. I'm going to pray about that before it gets any closer. Mm -hmm. Just that, that idea that I... I'm aware of my surroundings. I know what's going on here. And Jesus connected those ideas in the garden, right? Um, when he asked his disciples to watch with him. And then he says, watch and pray that you might not enter into temptation. Like Satan is here. He's coming after you guys. He's coming after me. And Jesus was the one alert and praying. And he's the one who stood firm in the trial. Peter and the other disciples were sleeping, not alert, not praying. And what happened when the trial came? They all ran. Mm-hmm. Peter denies the Lord. Um, they did not stand firm in the evil day. They crumbled. Yep. They absolutely fell flat on their face because they were not ready. Yeah, and because they were not praying specifically. Yeah, that's right. And so here, I love this idea of watchful in prayer. It's cool to look at Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6 or so. Um, is another great parallel to this passage. But I like that he says, um, "Ask, pray for me and for all the saints. That's right. Um, I, I mean, Paul has prayer requests here, and his prayer request has to do with the shoes of the gospel. He's mm-hmm. like, pray that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly. Um, and in verse 20, uh, 20, again, he says that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Yes, and I just wanted to talk about that for a second because as we went through the book of Acts, I think you read through it and you're like, I don't think Paul needs any help being bold. I think he's got it <laughs> under control all by himself. But no. Paul still is asking people to pray for him to be bold. Yes. And it just really made me think of of all the people I know in my life who I would call bold people, I know that they pray for that. And they really have to work at it to be bold. And so we never need to get it in our minds that that's just something that will come natural to us. No, that's something we need to be praying for for ourselves and also for other people as we proclaim the mystery of the gospel, which, by the way, that word mystery of the gospel, it's not anything mysterious to us. We talked about that. Back, open secret. That's right. We talked about that back in chapter 3, that Paul, he, he the mystery is that he gets to proclaim this message to the Gentiles. Gentiles are now also in um, in Jesus, if they will submit to him. Yeah. And he points out that because of that in verse 20, he's an ambassador in chains. Right. Like this has landed him in prison because he's been bold and because he's done this. And so he keeps praying for boldness, 
even though it has had negative physical impact on his life. Like he's writing from prison and is saying, help me to keep being bold. And I love that he's like still praying for opportunities. Like he's behind locked doors or whatever. I mean, maybe house arrest here is more uh, appropriate. But either way, Paul is not a free man. And he's saying, pray for open doors for me. Pray that I can make this message known uh, even while I'm here in Rome in prison. I love that about Paul is that he does not see the limitations. He sees the open doors of the gospel and that with God's armor and with prayer, he can still be yeah. uh, fighting for the Lord, even if he's uh, you know chained to a Roman soldier. As we look at the seventh piece, another way I've heard this phrased is that uh, not only is the stance of the soldier prayer, but every battle begins on your knees. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just love that idea that, that before I go into any hard thing, that's where I'm going to start is on my knees in prayer to God uh, to be with me through that. Yeah. So that brings us to this last section of Ephesians. I'm going to read verses 21 through 24. It says, but that you also may know about my circumstances, how I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. So Paul uh, concludes this letter um, saying that he's uh, sending Tychicus. It looks like he's probably the guy delivering the letter. Yeah, we've seen him in a few different places mm-hmm. as well. Yep, comes up in Colossians 4, 2 Timothy 4, Titus 3. Um, it's cool to just see this the, the co-workers that Paul had uh, helping him out. And um, he uh, doesn't give a whole rundown of how he's doing. This is not a personal letter exactly. Um, there's some personal details, but he's like, Tychicus will let you know how I'm doing. All the pleasantries and like how I am, um, that's, you know, he'll give you that in person when he delivers this letter. I do love that he's called a faithful minister. Uh, That word minister, I think a more helpful word there is servant, Mm -hmm. faithful servant. That's all that that simply means, but that's what we are in the Lord. We're servants. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's exactly right. He's doing what he should be. Yes. And so um, he sent him to these Christians so that they can know how Paul is doing and that um, he can encourage their hearts. Uh, he has an important role in this, that uh, he's going to give a letter from Paul, which is incredibly encouraging as we've just read through this letter, um, but also his presence and personal encouragement would add to that. Yeah, And as is very typical for Paul, as he kind of wraps up his letters in verse 23 and 24, is he'll offer peace to the brethren, love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul will always mention the Father um, God and Jesus the Son. And then finally, as is so typical, Paul, grace. Grace. Yeah, grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. I I love that idea. That is cool. Um, This is the same word we get for for uh, immortality. Uh, There it is. Found it. Yeah. Immortal love. Yeah, exactly. So it's pretty cool to think about that. The the love that we have for Christ and for each other is, it's incorruptible. It's not going to go anywhere. Yeah, that's cool. And I mean, he talked about his prayer back in chapter 3, that they can know the height and depth and length and breadth, uh, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And now, like, uh, grace be to those who love the Lord Jesus with this incorruptible love. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so that wraps up the book of Ephesians. Lord willing, we are going to shift into the book of James next week. 
and James is five chapters long, and it's often called the wisdom book of the New Testament. Proverbs of the New Testament. Yeah, it's got some pretty cool things in it that are just practical and and really down to earth for us to apply as Christians today. So Lord willing, we'll start the book of James next week. Yeah, thank you guys for listening. If you're enjoying what you're hearing on the pod, please subscribe or leave a rating or a review that will help us reach more people. Um, If you're interested in studying with us, we would love to talk about the Bible with you. 717-585-0949. You can text us or call us or email us at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com or for more info, see capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.